The Reverend Dr. Charles Atkins, Jr. is Supervisor of Chaplain Services at Garden State Youth Correctional Facility in New Jersey. He is a theopoetic theologian and former hip-hop artist who has served in prison chaplaincy for 21 years. Charles has been instrumental in supporting Princeton Seminary's Certificate in Theology and Ministry Inside program, in which community continuing education students gather weekly inside the prison to study with incarcerated students. In this episode, I talk with Charles about his work in prison chaplaincy and his insights into the role of the church in responding to the issue of mass incarceration. You're listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Charles, thank you for sitting down with me today. um, Thank you for having me. To talk about your work. You're working on a book, which is always a good thing. But I want to start with you and I first met when you were in... MDiv, MA student here at Princeton Seminary. Yep. You've been in prison ministry now for for quite a while. So what was it that drew you to prison ministry to begin with? Wow. Well, it is, yeah, it's been about 21 years now. And the uh, initial introduction of prison ministry, I honestly have to give a shout out to Princeton Seminary's uh, field ed program. At the time when I was a student here, you had to do a summer internship and a year-long internship, and either one could be a specialized ministry. And so I did a summer internship for a church, assisting a pastor at a church in Jamaica on the summer. And when I came back, my field ed advisor at the time told me that after being in an environment where people really were just happy to praise the Lord, you know, Mm -hmm. just doing worship, whether they had their building had a roof on it or not, people were not complaining about certain things, you know, that we may complain about in churches back here in the States. So Mm -hmm. uh, my advisor told me, well, maybe you might want to consider prison ministry where you may find some people that are really sincere about faith practice and what have you. And I, I hadn't even thought about prisons, period, let alone prison ministry. Mm -hmm. And so on his advice, I did go and meet with a chaplain at a, a young adult facility between ages of 17, 27. And I had already in my mind made a little speech, a thank you, but no thank you speech, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And this chaplain, he was very wise. What he did was he, he I came inside, came into the chapel, and his office was actually outside just outside the entrance doors, there were sliding doors to the chapel. And he said, hey, all right, we'll talk in my office after. Let's just, you know, go into the chapel and let me show you the chapel a little bit. And I step in and I hear the sliding doors close behind me. And I look, turn around, see their clothes, and I look up front and I see six guys who were part of the church on the inside, Mm -hmm. uh, six residents who said, hey, Charles, come on down. So they were obviously planted there to really <laughs> to be the interview. Yeah, to really be the interview. And yeah. we spoke for almost two hours, and I didn't even see the time pass. And at the end of those two hours, they asked me, so we're going to see you in the fall? And at that point, I just said, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how it started. So that led to 21 years. Tell yeah. me a little bit, why did you stay? Well, I think a lot of it, is rooted in that first year as an intern. I was doing the internship with another intern, and as a part of our tour of the of the prison, we were mm-hmm. assigned to 
a unit that was called the Young Long-Termers Unit, which were guys in their teenage, early 20s who were given uh, sentences of 10 years or more. Hmm. So uh, they had a program called the Young Long-Termers Program where basically they were really having an opportunity to talk about their lives, talk about where they're going from here, really slow things down and really discuss life deeply, philosophically, spiritually. Mm-hmm. And our job was just to contribute to that, you know, be in the circle. They welcomed us and um, we started to talk. And one guy asked a question, and this is actually, I recount the story in my forthcoming book that, you know, we'll get to later. But it was a real change, a turning a turn, a turning point for me. You know, I don't know if it was a turning point because I think I was already on the path, but I think it was a real, it solidified me mm-hmm. doing prison ministry. And mm-hmm. that was... He asked us, why are we here? And the student I was with immediately said, well, Matthew 25, Jesus says, you know, when I was in prison, you visited me. And so the young man responded to that. The resident responded and said, so you're just here to get into heaven. Mm. And that launched us into a just a deeper discussion, not only about the text, but about why we were there. And mm-hmm. at that point, I had been coming into the prison about a month, six weeks, and had already been touched in some ways I didn't expect to be touched. And in the continued conversation, as we deepened that conversation, I really saw the, I think we all came to an understanding that that text, Matthew 25, was about connection. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and I was able to share, recognize and share that I was coming in because and I continued to come in at that point. I, I said yes to coming in actually initially because in my conversations, I saw a piece of me and them and they saw a piece of them and me. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that Jesus text and, and, and I think we all did that day. That's more of a connectional text, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not a formula for getting ourselves into heaven, but the way that we just live and move and have our being. Right? Yeah. And so that led me to just keep going, keep yeah. going. And so I had the internship ended and I just, I was invited by the chaplain to keep coming, you know, so I had, uh, was able to start a unique thing there. It was uh, because I was at Princeton Seminary and had access to all this knowledge I I offered to do a, and the guys had asked me for this. It was a conversation group between Muslims and Christians mm-hmm. on really Christian. It was it was it was about Christian doctrine and history mm-hmm. and church history, and uh, a lot of Muslims wanted to be a part of it, and mm-hmm. just to and 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 we made the parameters, you know, of the conversation. Look, this is not about bashing. We're not here to mm-hmm. say it's better. But if you really have honest questions about why this, why that, we'll talk about it. And we talked about some amazing things like, you know, the hypostatic union and how in the world is it not three gods and how is it one, you know. And, mm-hmm. and it just deepened everyone's understanding and I think deepened everyone's respect of mm-hmm. each other's faith. Yeah. And... There was a group, uh, a Christian a nonprofit that came in that actually served several prisons throughout New Jersey, federal, state, and local. They they came in after my Bible study, that, that this this historical conversation that we were mm-hmm. having on, on, mm-hmm. on church, historic, church history conversation. And 
they saw the, the huge number of guys that were coming. I mean, we had, I guess, between we would have like 40, 50 guys in there. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for a new field director for their ministry. Ah. And so they started to talk to me because I would see them as I was leaving. They were coming into the prison and mm-hmm. we exchanged phone numbers. There weren't cell phones back then, actually. Mm-mm. It was <laughs> Virtual landline at a house, you know, and and they called me and uh, had a meeting, and um, I wound up working for that Christian nonprofit and uh, helping doing that fundraising, and also working at several prisons doing Bible studies, including the the one that I started mm-hmm. at for for my internship. You yeah. know, so uh, it that really helped me see a broader spectrum of what was going on in. Uh, Prisons yeah. around New Jersey, on the like I said, on county level, state yeah. level, and federal. Yeah. And um, I started to really do my research into America and its relations and its uh, policies of punishment yeah. and uh, the um, coming of mass incarceration in this country. So you have a lot of experience in that setting. You've become my go-to person when it comes to these questions. What have you learned about the life of the incarcerated person, the activity of God inside, and the role of the church that can help people better understand how to respond to mass incarceration in the United States? Wonderful question. Thank you for that. Learned so much. Yeah, no kidding. It's a big question, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you want to break it right. down. Well, I'll break it down. And, and, and uh, as I, I mentioned my forthcoming book, it's uh, the, the word confined, the relevance of the practice of Bible study in an American prison. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be coming out in the spring of 2020. And in that, I really do do, a, if you would, an overview of how prison, what the context is into which people place a prison ministry. Mm-hmm. Right? So one of the things I found in my research and also my work in prison chaplaincy is that a lot of people, I think, underestimate the amount of uh, confusion mm. that a person can have that first night of incarceration. When I say confusion, I mean, you know, when you woke up this morning, you knew where to get your coffee, Mm -hmm. you knew where to find your clothes, you knew what to choose from, you knew who you had to deal with in order Mm -hmm. to get the kids out, to get to get to work. You knew where these things are. You knew where maybe you knew where your car keys are, you know, but (laughs) you you knew they were in the house somewhere. Yeah, that's right. right? When you come to a prison environment, all of those landmarks, all of those points of reference are taken away. Mm -hmm. You really have no idea where to get whatever you need. You you are at the mercy of the prison officials and the other residents to figure out how do I get this, get that, get whatever. So it's very disorienting. And then, too, when you woke up, you got out of bed, you knew where you were going. You, you didn't have to go through any locked gates to get to wherever you needed to go. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to ask permission to wherever you needed to go. Yeah. Now, certainly, this is what prison is designed to be. Certainly, criminal justice policies have have put in place our incarceration system so that it's a deterrent and it's also a punishment, right? Quote, unquote, oh, society, or you owe people, uh, especially if you've harmed them. Uh, Nevertheless, I think we need to understand that, and one of the things that I learned in my research is that, you know, most people in prison do get out. 
And it is our hope that if a person is really in need of rehabilitation for reentry into society, that they are getting it. Mm-hmm. And all around the country, most budgets in prisons are for uh, custody, for security. Mm-hmm. And understandably so, right? But if these people are coming back and we want them to be back in the community, not worse than when they left, there yeah. has to be attention paid to what's going on in their minds and hearts while they are mm-hmm. in there. And so this disorientation, if you would, is a, is a big opportunity for there to be education. There's a big opportunity for there to be real treatment mm-hmm. because certainly a lot of people are incarcerated because of mental illness, untreated mental illness. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity there. But one thing I found just, I mean, it's hard to, I mean, I'm not, I haven't been incarcerated by God's grace. Um, but the testimonies I have heard, one of the biggest things is there is an opportunity for someone to wake up to their situation, to who they are, to what they've done in the past, where they're going in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, whenever you start thinking seriously about the future, you are very open to a conversation about faith. Mm-hmm. Consideration of the future is a spiritual act. In my view, I mean, mm-hmm. we decided to come to this studio booth and mm-hmm. we both had faith that these chairs would support our weight. So mm-hmm. we sat down in there. We had faith that the, the equipment would work. Mm-hmm. And so we planned it and we, we put it forth. And mm-hmm. that was an act of faith, yeah. you know. And when you are dealing with people who are disoriented in the prison system, after leaving a lot of times a home environment that is disorienting, fragmented, it is certainly an opportunity for failure, but it's also an opportunity for rebirth. Mm. It's an opportunity for recognition and taking control of oneself and one's environment in some way. Mm-hmm. I did see, uh, um, <clears throat> and I did recognize, certainly in my work, all of the criticisms that exist about certain prison min- uh, prison ministries growing seemingly in certain areas of this country, even while mass incarceration is increasing. Mm. And uh, critics of prison ministry do say that how can you focus on individual salvation when there is a real problem with the system? Mm-hmm. Criminal justice system needs to be reformed. There needs to be prison reform, no doubt. I certainly have found reason to agree with, with, with all of those and understand all of those criticisms. I've also have come to understand how politics work, mm-hmm. and it takes time. Mm-hmm. And while we are taking this time to make changes in our criminal justice policies, there are people who are locked up still. Yeah. Who serves them? How are they being helped while the change is happening on the outside? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really found that there is a work that God is doing on the inside that prison ministries can participate in, especially mm-hmm. if they are willing to open themselves, the, the, uh, uh, volunteer, uh, church volunteers or mm-hmm teachers or mm-hmm. whatever who are coming in to give theological classes or to do Bible studies mm-hmm. or to do prayer groups, as long as they are open to the stories and testimonies of the incarcerated. Yeah. You know, it's not about us bringing the Holy Spirit to them. Holy Spirit is already there. Mm-hmm. But are we facilitating uh, their being open and are we facilitating and are they facilitating our being open mm-hmm. to the leading and teaching of the Holy Spirit in the incarcerated environment, which I have found God's work in there to be different, to be different. There is uh, one thing that I do talk about in the book toward the end where there is this phenomenon of people getting a renewal of their minds in a different way. Hmm. 
in the incarcerated environment, uh, in an environment of surveillance and coercion, it can be certainly a place of oppression and, and limitation, but it also can be an opportunity for a serious witness and even a transformation of the situation, of the culture. I, mm-hmm. I came across uh, some young men who, even though they were in a hostile environment, they decided to be hospitable, which mm-hmm. is not normal reason. It's not reasonable, yeah. you yeah. know, uh, but they've had such an intense experience and uh, an encounter with God that they have made a decision that even though others are doing certain things, violent things, in order to survive in this environment, I will not participate in that. Mm. And my religious practice reaffirms that, encourages me in that, and helps me move forward. And I found that uh, in my work, prison ministries that are effective are those that really do hear what the person is going through, what the incarcerated person is going through, what their story is, mm. and is willing to share that story on the outside mm. to help influence policies that are shaping incarceration systems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also encouraging them to continue their fight to maintain their identity in Christ, to maintain their identity in God mm-hmm. uh, in a way that they keep their dignity and um, in a way that they offer dignity to others, um, but also in a way that, and also in a way that strengthens them for their return home, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I'm, it's, it really has been, I mean, these years, uh, when I look back on I mean, it, it, wow, you know, it is a long time, but mm-hmm. in the middle of it, it didn't seem that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think I've been certainly blessed and uh been able to have some wonderful stories of some young men who've touched my life and uh, who I've been blessed to see God touch. What are some of the things that you think really need to be in place for any sort of church prison ministry to be successful? First of all, there needs to be an understanding that we are not people bringing water to fill empty jars. Mm -hmm. They have water. You know, Mm -hmm. we're to uh, bring our water together. Yeah. You know, so there needs to be a level of humility, no doubt. There also needs to be a level of uh, um, um, certainly, I think, strong level of biblical literacy because in the, uh, say, for example, in a Bible study, you know, uh, and I, I, when I was, uh, working in, in uh, the pastor at a couple of churches in my life, I, I found that, you know, you can have a Bible study with people who are in civil society on the outside. Mm-hmm. Do the Bible study. It's a great time. We all feel encouraged. Um, but some people may have a problem the next day remembering what we talked about. Yeah. You know, you, you can remind them and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. We talked about it. But one thing I found on the inside, though, is, Whatever you say, a person can think about that for the next few weeks yeah. and come back to you. I mean, I've had people uh, quote <clears throat> me from a year prior. <laughs> you know? Be careful what you exactly. say. Exactly. So I got to be careful every time I'm doing something. I have to be intentional. And that's yeah. another thing I would ask for those who would minister in prison to be very intentional, very prepared, mm-hmm. because they're coming into an environment where, first of all, you are expected to talk about God. I mean, that is an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing to be in, you know. Yeah. 
you go into a mall right now, no one is necessarily expecting you and I to talk about God. That's right. You know, they're expecting you to shop, you know, yeah. expecting you to walk around, talk on your phone, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to walk into an environment as big as a mall mm-hmm. where people are expecting you to talk about God, talk spiritual, talk uh, and, and to bring light, to mm-hmm. bring peace. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it puts you in a certain position that makes you be intentional about what how you what you say and how you move. Yes. Right? Yes. So I would put that in people's training. Um and then also I think theological education is so I mean I mean what is theology, right? It's you know trying to get into the logic of God, right? Yeah. And we look at the history of 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 writers who've tried to approach the logic of God. We all show our theology by the way we pray. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, what we hope of God, what we expect of God, how we expect God to move. Um, it's when you are bringing theological education into a prison, you are bringing writers of certain areas into conversation with writers in the incarcerated world. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think this really brings about some. Uh, in, not just enriching conversations, but transformative conversations, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that people understand that, look, this is not just a conversation about ideas floating around. These are conversations about how I'm going to live my life. Yeah. And that's how I found many people engaging, who are incarcerated, engaging in theological education. They're trying to get at ideas that they will use to govern their lives and to improve the lives of others around them. Yeah. You know, it is not just a spectator sport. It, you, you're Mm-mm. being trained as a player here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think those uh, organizations, those schools that do engage in theological uh, courses uh, on the inside are taking on a marvelous ministry where you are accessing souls that are really open to being pushed and who can push you back. That's right. And, and and they do. So you and I have been working together now for a few years with the Certificate in Theology and Ministry program that we have inside. And, you know, through that, I've our students and, and all have learned a lot of the things that you've just been talking about. But can you tell me and tell the folks listening a little bit more about just the overall landscape of theological education inside prisons. I know that when I try to explain this to people, I have a lot of explaining to do. You know, yeah, most yeah. folks don't understand. I mean, there most right. people understand that there's uh, prison ministry, mm-hmm. like a chaplain and all that. But to mm-hmm. to explain, you know, th- courses and programs of study, intentional theological reflection and education inside of a prison setting. So mm-hmm. not don't talk about our program, but talk, talk about um, <laughs> your program uh, it is a wonderful program. But we <laughs> but we are one of of um, many who are who are trying to, to do this and, and to do it well. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit about just some of the what that landscape looks like, some of the learnings that are happening and mm. the benefits of that, and, mm. and maybe even a pitfall or two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I uh, was blessed to work with uh, several other uh, researchers on an article uh, called Using the Language of Christian Charity. It came out this year, beginning of this year, I mm-hmm. believe. And in it, we did a survey of theological education programs happening around the U.S. and in Canada 
And we found uh, situations where you had religiously based institutions continuing their religious mission in prisons and through theological education. We found more secular institutions who were doing theological education as a means of uh, what they had considered to be rehabilitation, mm-hmm. right? In both camps. And then, of course, there were churches, too, that were mm-hmm. involved. In all three instances, the common point was getting people to engage in critical reflection. Hmm. And that was key. Mm-hmm. Because when you engage in critical reflection of yourself, of your life, and not just in conversation, but in writing, uh, you really can uh, help a person to plan out their life, the, uh, his, his or her life, and also find strategies for living that are pushing one toward, you know, that the philosophical conversation of the good life. You know, mm-hmm. What's a good mm-hmm. life? What's a life worth living? What is mm-hmm. my best life? You know, if you ask a normal person at, for example, a mall, you know, what is the, your best life? Do you think, what, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, a lot of people are going to be taken aback. Well, uh, wait a minute. Let me think about it. Uh, because it is a question that inherently brings about comparison within yourself of different phases of your life, comparison of your life with other people's lives, what your expectations are, what you really would not accept, what you think would be nice, what you think would be at a dream state level. Uh, but I found in the incarcerated environment, people are so real. Yeah. And they're not talking about, you know, that saying the pie in the sky. They're not talking about just heavenly realms here. They're talking about what, is the purpose of my life. Hmm. Why am I here? Where am I going? Do I believe there is some purpose? Because even if you say there is no purpose to my life, that shows some purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, 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 that justifies you just letting, you just going with the flow, yeah. whatever shows up. You know? Yeah. So we cannot escape that question. You know, why am I here? What is this? What is the purpose of this phase of my life? How can I move forward and how can I become stronger in this environment as opposed to weaker? Mm-hmm. And uh, engaging in critical reflection, having uh, a, com- a small community, a group, a cohort with whom you, other students with whom you can engage these type of questions, mm-hmm. it really takes us out of the, I don't want to call it a trap, but let me just call it the very comfortable space from which a lot of people do not want to escape of conversations on entertainment, uh, conversations on Mm -hmm. feelings of what other people are doing, you know, as opposed to conversations on the ideas of your life, the theology of your life, the philosophy of your life, where are you going and why? And these are certainly questions that can give us a headache. I mean, you and I can get a headache right now if we were to just jump into it, Mm -hmm. you know. But I think it's a good headache. Mm Mm-hmm. Because at the end of that conversation, I feel I have more resources to guide my motion in life. Yeah. To make certain decisions that uh, lead me in certain directions. You yeah. Know. And to handle my mistakes. Because certainly we're all going to make mistakes. Um, the issue is, do we learn from them? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, 
these young men that I've been able to work with over the last 20 years have certainly taught me how to handle my mistakes, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, uh, and again, turn them into lessons that help me build toward a flourishing life. You've been listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Interviews are conducted by me, Dale Rounds. And me, Sherry Osting. Our producer is Nee Otto Abrams, and our assistant producer is Amara Peterman. The Distillery is part of The Thread, an online platform with resources on culture, spiritual formation, and leadership. To find out more, visit thethread.ptsem.edu. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And while you're at it, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Until next time, thanks for listening.